Welcome to the Beehive Live. My name is Clint Betts. I'm here with Meg Walter. Meg, how are you? I'm good. Clint, how are you? Uh, I'm doing all right. Uh, real, real quick, we were just talking about this. Um, a fantastic piece has been published on thebeehive.com this week. Uh, Meg, tell us uh, about how it came about and, you know, maybe uh, do whatever you can to encourage those viewing this to go read it. Uh, my friend Lisa has lived in Salt Lake for 12 years. She's a black woman uh, and given the events of the past week and really, you know, like the past 10 years and beyond, we thought it would be beneficial for our readers to hear from a black writer this week. And luckily Lisa was willing to write about her experience living in Utah. Uh, and there are things in that piece that I didn't wanna believe have happened to her, but have actually happened to her. Uh, and it's a good reminder of what we all need to do better. And um, by we, I mean white people. So you can find that today on thebeehive.com. Really, really fantastic writing from Lisa and a really important message. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Everyone check that out. Uh, so the beehive.com is where you'll, where you'll find that. Uh, today's show is going to be all about the gubernatorial race in the state of Utah, uh, the primary uh, for the Republican primary, which is really the general election. Yeah, the state sadly. Of yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the, how things are. The Republican primary is June 30th, and ballots are mailed out three weeks before the primary. So we do a lot of mail-in voting in the state of Utah, a lot of mail voting. Um, a lot of mail voting, M-I-A-M-A-I-L. <laughs> Lots of mails vote through the mail. <laughs> yeah. A lot of, you can kind of use that uh, word however you want. Uh, so here's the current poll numbers. As things stand according, is this a Deseret News poll? I got these numbers on Deseret News this morning. They were published yesterday, so a day after the debate. Okay, so we have uh, Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox at 30%. We have former Governor John Huntsman at 23%. We have former House Speaker uh, Greg Hughes at 19%. And we have Thomas Wright a uh, former chair of the Republican Party in Utah, I believe, and also, uh, you know, a, a businessman here in the state. He's at 4%. Yeah, Clint, what's his business? I believe it's real estate. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, I, 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 I'm pretty sure it's real estate. And then we have 24% of the electorate, which is not the Republican primary electorate, I guess, uh, uh, they're undecided. Seems like a lot. 24% seems, that's a quarter of voters. That, ugh. I mean, that would make me nervous if I was a candidate. Wouldn't it make you nervous? Yeah, you add that 24% to Thomas Wright's 4% and he's the next governor. So just no, to not. give you a sense, this thing is not <laughs> over. is incorrect, but I see your point. <laughs> Um, so, you know, since we last talked, a few things happened. Uh, the Democrat candidate, Chris Peterson, called out 
the Herbert administration, which includes Spencer Cox, for refusing money from the federal government to feed hungry children. And the reason was essentially, we don't have the logistical power to distribute this food to needy children. So Chris Peterson wrote a uh, press release, that's what they're called, uh, condemning that and saying that we need to do better by Utah children. And then we've had an increase of COVID-19 cases. Uh, we are not flattening the curve. The curve is in fact heading upward. And then of course we have protests all over the country uh, in the wake of George Floyd's death and protests here in Salt Lake City, one of which turned pretty chaotic on Saturday night. So all of these events happened in the last week, right? before the debate, which happened Monday night. Um, so that was what was setting the tone when these four men got together and battled it out for who should be the next governor. And Clint, things got messy in this debate. So we'll get to that. What I wanna do is kind of go through every question that was asked these candidates and we'll talk about their responses. So, we had the first, I mean, they first, they gave their opening statements, right? Um, and they all said things like, you know, I'm just here because I love the state of Utah and I want to serve the people and pretty milk toast things. And then they were immediately asked about the divided communities. Do you want to tell us what their responses were to that? Okay, so, so real quick, I want to go back to Chris Peterson's thing. Oh, sure. Um, so... I didn't hear about this. Uh, I'm reading it on air, which is great preparation by me. Yeah, but thanks, Clint. He's saying Herbert and Cox decided to forego the pandemic electronic benefit transfer program, which is the EBT program, making Utah the only state in the union taking steps to reject roughly 50 million for Utah children who would typically receive school meals. That's according to the New York Times, according to Chris Peterson's press release. Do we know if, the, if this is true? This isn't true? If this is- I, I, I is mean, this? it is, those are the facts. They did reject it. And I, I believe the response is, we really just didn't have the manpower to get all of this distributed. Um, hmm. So take that answer, you know as you will, you don't want to take money that you can't use, but also could we not figure out a way to get organized and get this money where it belongs? Hmm. Yeah, we should dig in on that more. Uh, anyways, so, so the opening statements we're talking about, uh, you know, they had the opening statements and the first question was around healing divided communities in the debate. John Huntsman, the first question uh, the way he answered that was says he has leadership skills. <laughs> yeah. Uh, according to this piece of paper in front of me. Uh, and he says, I know it's a confused world. I see opportunity for our state in that confusion, he says. So, you know, I think he's referring to the time he was governor of Utah and when he was the leader of the state, saying that he has the experience necessary to lead, which is interesting given that two other candidates have also held political office to say that he's the leader of the group when two other candidates have been in leadership positions seems odd to me. Yeah. 
Um, I don't know. I, th- I would say he has leadership skills. Why not? Yeah, it's not that he doesn't have leadership skills. It's that everyone else on that stage also has leadership skills. Mm. You're saying he should have pointed out how great their leadership skills were. <laughs> yeah, yeah, see, this is why I can't be a politician, Clint. <laughs> I would be on that stage and be like, you know who's great? This guy over here. <laughs> Wonder, so I have leadership skills, but you want to know who else has leadership skills? <laughs> the other folks on the debate stage. There were multiple times watching this debate where I was like, stop being rude. <laughs> like, I just like, I don't like it when people are talking rudely to one another. So, yeah, it did get a little heated. Uh, and so, so Thomas Wright, his Twitter handle is at Wright Utah. He said, I believe we need to listen to each other in society far more now than we are now. And he vows to listen and have difficult conversations. I like the vow to listen. I do too. And I like that, that he comes out and says we should have difficult conversations. Uh, I, you know, you could have been a little more specific, but it feels more specific than I am a leader. Hmm. I am a leader. You didn't like the leader (laughs) quote. Do you like anybody who calls himself a leader? Don't call yourself a leader. (laughs) That's the worst thing. Meg hates it. All right. So uh, Spencer Cox, uh, this is what he said. He said he has a history of bringing people together. And he says, we are facing hard times, but we faced hard times before, but we always come back better and stronger. How do you feel about that one? I mean, if I was Spencer Cox, that's probably the statement I would make. What about you? If I was Spencer Cox, I would not be running for governor. I'd just chill at my farm in Fairview. So here's the thing. He, in his opening statement, he said, you know, his dad pulled him aside and asked him if he really wants to be governor. And he talked about when he was appointed by Governor Herbert to be lieutenant governor and how he and his wife had a conversation and they decided that we need people in leadership positions who don't want to be in leadership positions. And that's why he made a good lieutenant governor. But it's a weird thing to say while you're on stage asking people to vote for you as governor. Right. Like he's kind of saying, like, I don't want to do this, but I do want you to vote for me to be governor. I got a little bit confused on the messaging there. Uh, yeah, I've heard him say that before. Something around like we need people to take these jobs who don't want these jobs. Yeah. And if that's the case, let's open a phone book and point at someone's name and they're the new governor. Right. I am all for that system, as you so know, like. I think that's a way better system. Just don't get anywhere near the last names of the bees when you do that. All right. So um, the, the, the final person, Greg Hughes, former speaker, says he's the proven conservative in the race with a track record. Uh-huh. He notes brave, brazen behavior and he pounces on Dems, which is Democrats, for those who aren't familiar with the language, the lingo. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's mad about them changing to be Republican. I think he's, this is you directly. Yeah, he, this, is, this is Meg Walter is going to ruin my chances of becoming governor. This is directly Sorry, pointed Greg. towards you where you've become a Republican to influence the outcome of the nomination. What he doesn't realize is you became a Republican to vote for Greg Hughes. Yeah, that's absolutely why I changed I don't my know party why affiliation. He's, he's I want the proven conservative to be governor. 
I don't get that answer from Greg uh, just because the question was nothing about that. It, it was about <laughs> the uh, healing divided communities, right? Yeah. And there but, he is. <laughs> but, you know, he kind of went at you for changing, <laughs> like directly at you for your decision, which is kind of interesting. I mean, and again, how many people are actually doing that? Like a handful of political nerds who actually are paying attention to all of this. You know, it's like 12 people, Greg, like settle down. I, I, um, I, think, I think he has a chance at some of those people who've done it too. I really do. The, the 24%, you think they're all going to go Hughes? Hughes, we'll talk about the polls here in a second. I think Hughes has a better chance than people are thinking. Oh boy. I really do. So as we know, on Monday, there was a call with President Trump from his bunker with the governors of every state. Uh, I listened to part of that call and it was pretty wild. Did you hear any of it? <laughs> no, the, the, uh, the only thing I've seen out of Trump lately is he did this crazy press conference um, where he read something and I think he screwed up and he started talking about one law, one yep. law to kind of rule all the laws. Mm -hmm. I think like somebody, there was a typo and because it was a teleprompter speech, which he doesn't do that often. And uh, I think he had trouble reading it or there was a typo in what was the speech. And so mm -hmm. he kind of ad-libbed this like one law to rule them all thing. So yes. that freaked me out. And then he walked across the street. Well, first, while he was giving that speech, they had tear gassed all the peaceful protesters outside the White House to make room for him to cross the street. Go on. And then he like walks across the street and holds up a Bible. I, like uh, I, we, we were talking about this the other day, Chris and I on uh, the Why Though podcast. You know how every president kind of has their moment? Like there's a yes. memorable moment. Yeah. And so if you if you think of Obama's Obama's moment for me is when he's saying Amazing Grace after the shooting in Virginia. For um, me, it's when he's crying in Sandy Hook. Right. Uh, but uh, and then Bush has a couple moments as well. Bush, uh, you know, when he visits the World Trade Center site right after the collapse and he grabs the uh, fireman, uh, you know, puts his arm around his shoulder. He's holding a megaphone and says the people who did this are going to hear from all of us soon. And then that same period, he uh, throws a perfect strike. The first Yankees game back It's like, yeah. you know, like if you're not like pumped to be an American when your president just comes in there and just zips one in, that was awesome. And then, you know, I don't know what Bill Clinton says. It's probably like the Lewinsky stuff. And then, uh, mm -hmm. which isn't great for him. And then uh, I don't know what HWs is other than like the grocery. He didn't, he didn't know how to use a grocery store scanner, which I don't get why that was an issue. I don't know how to use a grocery store scanner. And then uh, Reagan tear down the wall. So they all have their, you can keep going and going, but they kind of all have their moments. This to me was his moment that we'll remember for a long time when he walked across the street at the White House after talking about one law to rule them all and held a Bible upside down, I might add. Uh, and just like, looked like, I don't even know what he was doing. Like he literally could have done anything. Uh, but what he did, he was just like taking pictures and then he invited like his staff to did come. Did you hear like, a reporter ask, is that your Bible? And he said, it's a Bible. <laughs> I loved that response. I actually thought that was so funny. Like if you take out like everything that was happening you know and like who he is and like yeah that's a big means. if 
So if you're able to do that, which nobody really is, but that's a crazy way to answer, to respond to that question. Is that your Bible? It's a Bible. It's a Bible. Yeah. So uh, that's the last thing that I've, I've heard. But th- this Trump governor call where he called the governors weak. Yeah, he um, said other countries are laughing at us. You have to show force. Who cares if other countries are laughing at us? Like, he does. I feel like, yeah, I know. I assume they're always laughing at us. So the question from Bruce Lindsay, by the way, uh, who moderated this debate from the Utah Debate Commission, you know, you know well, he was on Channel 4, right? For I thought really he did time. a great job. Yeah, yeah I thought he did great. good. Um, but he asked, how would you respond to the president on that call? Uh, and I actually really appreciated Thomas Wright's answer because, again, of how specific it was. He said he would get involved in police officer standards and training curriculum so that our police force is better trained. Um, Spencer Cox said, let's be clear, the death of George Floyd was a murder. And then he went on to say, this is something he's been saying a lot on Twitter, that the lawful protests that were happening in Salt Lake were hijacked by agents of chaos who care only about destroying things. And then he said, we did respond with strength to those people. Uh, Greg Hughes (laughs) said, let's choose our words carefully. Uh, Are we talking about a protest or are you talking about a riot? And then he said that he joins in the protests of Floyd's death, but he's not up for rioters and civil unrest, which I, you know, examine the civil rights movement and see if we are where we are uh, without riots and civil unrest. And then he said, I'm with the president. We cannot let that happen to our country and our state. And then John Huntsman said, are we doing enough to thank law enforcement? He followed that with, he is concerned about civil liberties. This is not what we see in the state of Utah. This is what we see in other countries. I'm not sure what the objects of those sentences are. What is it that we don't see in Utah? And what is it that we see in other countries? Is it the protests or is it the police presence uh, stopping riots? What is the civil liberty that's being violated there? I thought John Huntsman had a great debate. uh, So I want to be clear about that. Uh, But that was by far his worst answer, I thought. Are we doing enough to thank law enforcement when talking about these these protests? Um, and not that not that law enforcement shouldn't be thanked, but um, you know you're kind of missing the uh, overall point of what's happening. I honestly yeah. think you know um, you know I watched the debate beginning to end. Uh, I thought Thomas Wright did really well. I did too, actually. And my sister watched the debate, and she said she felt like he won the debate. I was very surprised which makes me feel apologetic toward Thomas Wright. But I really, his answers were specific and nuanced and seemed well thought out. I think that my real introduction to him was his campaign video where it's him and uh, Rob Bishop in the sunlight, like squinting the whole time and talking about, you know, how conservative they are. And I feel like a lot of his campaign has been, my running mate is Rob Bishop. And we've known nothing about him, but here on his own, I was very impressed. Yeah, I thought he had a great, a great debate, to be honest with you. I, I think the, you know, the Greg, Greg Cuse is going to respond uh, to these types of questions like this, because, you know, the, if he's going to win, it's going to be the Trump supporters that, that ensure that, that he wins. 
I, you know, I don't know, you know, asking about the, the protests to lead with, are we doing enough to thank law enforcement from John Huntsman? I'm not sure. Um, and maybe, you know, he was the last person to answer that. And so he felt like some of the stuff had already been said. I don't know. I thought that was an odd answer. What did you think of that answer? I, yeah, I feel the same way. I feel like he either misunderstood the question or is pandering to a demographic of voters that would appreciate that answer in a way that yeah. I think is disingenuous to what he actually believes. Yeah, again, like, you know, uh, law enforcement should be thanked. Uh, sure. I mean, I'm, but that's not what these, that's not what we're talking about. No, right. Absolutely um, not. In fact, we're kind of talking about some of the um, systemic issues within law enforcement. It's kind of what yeah. this whole thing's about. Anyway, so, uh, and then the next question is, why are people protesting? They asked uh, the four white Republicans running for governor. Why are well, people I, protesting? We should say that the question was more detailed than that. It was Bruce Lindsay essentially asking, so what do you think it is? that's causing this unrest and this division. Why are these people out here protesting? Thomas Wright, again, good answer, I thought. He says they're frustrated, we need to elect new people. Adding he's not the only one, he's the, he's not the, he's the only one who is not a career politician. Um, all right. uh, Spencer Cox says law enforcement is trying to stop rioting. Greg Hughes calls people involved in rioting punks sure. <laughs> and decries lawlessness. John Huntsman says he defends right to protest, but people feel reason Trump got elected as American dream no longer achievable. Yeah. See now, same thing. Like I just, he's not answering the question and he's, he's almost dog whistling right to a to a certain segment of voters that i wonder if he feels aren't ready to vote for him and he's trying to prove that they should vote for him yeah i'm not sure about that um i'm not sure about that answer either i, I defending the right to protest that feels good but the people feel reason trump got elected as american dream is no longer achievable um kind of has nothing to do with what's happening yeah, and I mean, <laughs> it's a low bar, weird? right, to be in these answers. They should have said, like, racism is a problem and people are, have had enough of that. These are all kind of dancing around that, um, again, because I think they want to appeal to a faction of voters who might be upset if they are that blunt on air. But I feel like the person who got closest to saying that was Thomas Wright. Right. Uh, okay, let's move on to the next question. Emergency spending for COVID-19. Uh, Clint Benz should have called you. They should have all called you during this question. How do you share yeah, This thoughts? is when I think, I think things got the most tense. Absolutely. So we're, we're entering the COVID-19 segment of the debate, which turned... <laughs> Very spicy. Um, so the question was, you know, let's talk about emergency spending and how how the state did. You know, I there's this debate about whether Spencer Cox has been able to campaign while he's been doing this. Uh, we've talked about this. The flip side of that is that he is also going to get the criticism for everything the state has done here. So while he has been in the spotlight and his opponents feel like 
he's been able to get more attention, have his name more well known than they have during this time. He's also got more criticism just by being in charge of the COVID-19 response. So his answer to this is that he's proud of the response, but certainly in hindsight, there are things we could have done differently. He defends the COVID-19 response economically and health-wise, and he says, we've seen Utahns come together and lift each other up. Now, Greg Hughes said in the beginning, he was all in, he was going to go inside, stay safe, but he said, you cannot close this economy by government edict, he says, but, which is interesting because that was kind of on a federal level, right? Um, Greg Hughes said he's been very critical of the state's response to COVID-19, um, and he said that we should have examined those no-bid contracts more carefully. John Huntsman says we will have another pandemic at some point, and he says it was a huge mistake to politicize the whole episode and lay it at the feet of the state. I don't know. Okay, and he says that, you know, we have Angela Dunn. We should have just let her be in charge of everything, but is that realistic? Can you turn to an epidemiologist and say, you're in charge now, good luck with everything policy related? Well, uh, no, that doesn't. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, Angela Dunn's not elected by the people, whereas right. Spencer Cox and Governor Herbert um, is elected. Uh, if we want to put Angela Dunn in charge, who's amazing, I think has been a wonderful leader during this time. Uh, you know, she, she's got to run for office. She's got to run for to be governor. Right. Don't yeah. you think? I mean, um, if you want to put her in charge, I think elected officials who you can hold accountable is who you want in, in, in charge of this thing. But I, I kind of got his point there. Like, hey, we have uh, Angela Dunn. She seems to be doing a great job. What if she was the face of this instead of you, Spencer? You kind of get this is kind of where Huntsman was the most honest. Throughout the debate, you could tell he's super frustrated before coronavirus. Yeah. He was leading in the polls. After coronavirus, he is no longer leading in the polls. It does seem like this has helped Spencer Cox's um, poll numbers and chances to be our next governor. And it does seem like it's hurt John Huntsman's chances to be our next governor and it certainly hurt, hurt his poll numbers. He talks about how, you know, uh, the state kind of locked all the other candidates in their houses while uh, Spencer Cox went on TV every day. I mean, he was, he was super honest here. So, so I, I, view, I viewed that as a political response and not something that John Huntsman would actually do. You don't, I don't know how you get away with putting an unelected official in charge of something like that, but certainly put them at the table and I make sure that their voice is heard and their opinion is heard and you're following their advice since they're the experts in the situation. But this is the whole reason why we have elections, people, like uh, is to decide who's in charge of these types of things, like it or not. Right. And, Donald you know, Trump's he started, in charge because he's the president. He started out by saying we need liter leadership. But in this case, he's saying the people who are elected to be leadership in leadership positions should have stepped aside and just listened solely to the expert and let the expert make all the decisions when in fact the epidemiologists it's not their job to think about the economy or you know all of these other things that go into this and his answer gets more wild he says uh if we if i were to have been in charge we would have kept 80 percent open um and handled things differently for those who are at risk now every scientists that I've heard from in the three months have said that that is not a good idea. 
Uh, it's virtually impossible to do. And we have all these weird things happening now. Like we still just don't understand this disease at all. This inflammation thing in kids, like kids might largely be at risk. Uh, young people are dying. They're getting strokes. They're having all kinds of issues. Like I just, that's, he knows that's not a realistic option. Well, and also the, the odd part about that answer again is uh, he starts by saying Angela Dunn should have been in charge of this thing. Angela Dunn would not have uh, recommended yeah. that 80% of Utah, just I know from our experience with her uh, coming on Silicon Slopes Town Halls and then what she said at the press conference, she wouldn't have wanted 80% of the state to remain open. Um, and so I, I hear what he's saying, like, and, you know, there could be an argument, there could not be an argument for, for doing such a thing, but uh, that would be him as the elected governor making that decision. Uh, because right. if you put um, someone like Angela Dunn, the state's epidemiologist in charge, they're not going to make that decision. That was very clear um, throughout this pandemic that what her view on that would have been uh, to not let 80% of the state remain open. Right. Um, Wright says we need checks and balances in government. Uh, he talks about how frustrated business owners are. And he said, we don't need government compulsion. We need personal responsibility. Uh, he calls for respect to personal liberties, which is interesting because Utah was one of the few states in the nation to never make a mandatory stay at home order. It was always a recommendation. So I don't know if that argument holds water when uh, no one was being penalized for not following the recommendations made during, well, we're still in COVID-19, but. I just think, you know, in all of this hindsight is 2020, having lived through some of this, in particular this, this topic they're talking about, which started the questions about these uh, government spending, emergency spending thing. I think hindsight, is, it's really easy to criticize um, you know, you were even seeing like um, the World Health Organization canceled their hydroxychloroquine trial, right? Yeah. Um, because of a study, and they've they they've now found out that study was fraudulent, and they've restarted the hydroxychloroquine uh, trial. Um, that's one example of like a million different things. You saw like this NPR story saying now that they've done kind of widespread antibody testings, the actual um, mortality rate is more around 0.5% than 5%. And I don't even know if any of that's true. I think we're still learning yeah. uh, on all of these things, right? And so I think it's really easy um, to, you know, and Spencer Cox, this is really an attack on Spencer Cox, this, this question in this whole segment. Um, in his defense here, um, it's really easy to look back and criticize the the pieces where you know they may have made a mistake or it's easy to say like it, it sounds so menacing to say no bid contracts uh when that's the whole point of uh, emergency response funding if if you put these out for a bid we'd still be figuring out the rfp process and who was going to get it and all that type of stuff and we wouldn't be able to respond as quickly was is my sense of it and so i i, I think I think Spencer Cox had a good case here when he said the only ones playing politics with this is the people on the stage. I really do. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's where things got wild. Was he, that's what he said. And I don't think he's wrong. Like, I think that uh, Greg Hughes came out pretty early and, you know, decried this as a civil liberties 
issue when it was really a public health issue. Um, and then this is when John Huntsman said that everybody's been in lockdown and hasn't been able to campaign. And Thomas Wright piled on by saying that Spencer Cock has been using his office to run for office, which is the story of any politician who holds office running for another position. I mean, are, are you mad at incumbent presidents for using their office to campaign for office? Like, I just feel like that's the nature of how these things work. And again, I just want to say, like, I want elected officials to be held accountable, not bureaucrats, bureaucrats yeah. that we may love even and think are great. But there's no, it's impossible. How do you hold so, someone who's not elected accountable? Yeah. Uh, whereas you can hold Spencer Cox accountable if you think he's done a good job. I mean, this whole thing, I, and my, and my, my take on this, I think the whole election will be decided is do you think Spencer Cox did a good job um, in response to the coronavirus pandemic? Or uh, do you think he didn't do a good job? If you thought, if you think he did a good job, he's probably going to be the next governor. And most Utahns believe he's done a good job. He and Herbert have done a good job. The polling is kind of overwhelmingly in favor of, uh, you know, their response to this thing. If you don't think he's done a good job, then there, you know, there's a room for John Huntsman or uh, Greg Hughes or Thomas Wright to, to jump in here. But, um, you know, there's, I mean, it sucks for them. It, it, it would suck if you're running for governor and you're, you're at home because you have to be at home and your opponent is on TV every day. But I would blame... COVID-19. I mean, what do you want? Yeah, I think that's the virus. All that's of her not... lives have sucked the past three months. Like, this is just what it is. You know, what What did you want? Did you want to be able to go door to door and possibly infect people? What's the ask here? You know, at the beginning of this, when we started quarantine, a lot of people came out and said, just be warned that if this works, people are going to say it was an overreaction. And I think we're seeing that here like utah has done really well people took quarantine seriously and now people are being careful at least where i live people are being careful when they're going back to their lives and shopping and whatever and whatnot and i think that these candidates on the stage are saying like this was a violation of civil liberties the conversation could very well be thousands and thousands of people died and spencer cox is to blame and instead it's kind of a little bit feels like picking nits about the response. In my opinion, I understand for some people, they feel much more strongly that this was a violation of civil liberties. And I think that's a conversation to be had. And we can talk about people who feel like they couldn't work and are suffering because of that. But I do think it's important to remember that we have not seen a lot of death and sadness. And that's partly because of the leadership. Yeah, again, like most of Utah, like it or not, um, has agreed with and supported the way Herbert and Cox have handled the coronavirus pandemic. The no-bid contracts um, critique is interesting coming from, you know, Greg Hughes and John Huntsman as well. I mean, uh, they both operated in the system. One was Speaker of the House. One was actually governor. At any point, they could have changed the rules that during an emergency, you actually had to go out and get an RFP. I can't imagine if any of them is elected governor that they'll change it uh, to where there's this huge RFP process for things that are needed immediately. 
But maybe. I mean, I think critiquing who the state gave contracts to for sure. Do that all day. And that's been that's mm-hmm. been doing. Uh, but but the whole like no bid contracts and kind of the ominousness of that, I think that's legal. You have to. That's the whole reason why that law exists is so that they can go quick. Sure. So they, they kind of continued with the COVID-19 questioning and asked, you know, there, it was, this was actually a question from a political science major at the U who said civil rights have been violated during COVID-19. Which of those were justified and were there any that weren't justified? Uh, and in response, Greg Hughes said that you can't have phone monitoring and closure of churches. This isn't the role of government, he says, which feels like a very libertarian response to me. John Huntsman says he is uncomfortable with questionnaires at the border, calling it a step-by-step infringement on our liberties, which I don't know, like every time I fly in and out of the country, I'm filling out a lot of forms, right? I feel like that's kind of a standard when you travel. Sure, it's a little unusual state to state, but these were unusual circumstances. Wright says that they need to teach kids about constitutional rights. Rights are not created by government, they are given to us by God, he says, and I think that's probably the worst answer of his debate. Spencer Cox says Utah enacted the things that were necessary to protect the health and safety of people and facts are stubborn things. So here's Cox clapping back. He said that the state didn't lock down and they weren't compelling things. It was voluntary. Uh, And then he mentions how both Fauci and President Trump have praised Utah for their response and said that they've done a great job. Uh, Wright throws in the facial recognition stuff. He says if we keep electing the same people, we're going to get the same results. Spencer Cox says Utah responded better to COVID-19 than other places and reminds them that this is a global pandemic. I thought all of their answers here, if I'm going to be honest, were super interesting. And I didn't feel like anyone was playing too much politics here. I, I kind of, uh, this is going to be weird. I kind of agree with the border thing, like coming from if you're coming from Colorado, you have to like give all this information of where you've been. Like, um, I kind of agree with a lot of the critiques here, to be honest with you. Um, the phone monitoring, the closure of churches, I, that's obviously a little bit of pandering, but I thought it was interesting. I don't, I don't mind any of the critiques there overall. I thought I, it was I, at least genuine. I don't know. I don't know if it's genuine coming from John Huntsman saying that it was a step-by-step infringement on our liberties. I mean, I think you look at a lot of the countries who have beaten COVID-19 and it's because they locked down and they did heavy contact tracing and they monitored people and now they're getting back to their lives. And I think that was our goal was to get over this as soon as possible and get back to our lives as quickly as possible. And part of that was knowing who was coming in and out of the state and whether or not they had been infected at some point. I don't think there was anything nefarious about asking people to fill out a questionnaire when they came in or out of the state. I think it was only done for the interest of public health. And maybe I'm naive in thinking that, but John Huntsman's answer to me just felt like pandering to the KSL comments section person. (laughs) The KSL comments. I thought, I think it's interesting. I think it's at least interesting that that is being discussed 
Um, I don't know if he were governor, if, if Unsman would have done anything differently. Uh, yeah. That, that's kind of the interesting thing about all of this, you know, and so maybe a little bit, of, but I love the, I at least love the discussion and the debate on whether things like that are um, even legal in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, again, you know, how lucky are we to be having those conversations and not, oh my gosh, our hospitals are overflowing what do we do so yeah and by the way i think they i think they shut down that questionnaire i don't think that lasted very long no it lasted a day remember yeah (laughs) they were like this isn't working (laughs) so the the next question was growth uh john huntsman says he wants one more shot at covid19 he says it's a health issue to be sure but it's not an economic issue and a mental but it is an economic issue and a mental health issue and he's talked about this, which, which I honestly, I really appreciate. Even in the first um, Silicon Slopes debate, uh, he talked about mental health um, and, yeah. and the suicide pandemic. Um, and and I, I think it's incredible. I think, you know, he's really kind of brought that conversation to this race, which is so needed. Uh, yeah, but I think the way that he's positioning it here, that all of these suicides are suicides because of COVID-19. I don't know how accurate that is. And I think that's hard to gather data on. And I'm, I'd be very shocked if we had data on that already. Yeah. He does say that more people have uh, died of suicide than COVID-19 in Utah, which is, which is actually true. I, I, I would hear that and maybe it's even accurate. Um, but because he said He's been saying this for so long, like he's done a couple podcasts with me where he's brought this up even before coronavirus, again, at the Silicon Slopes debate before coronavirus was uh, a a major thing in the state of Utah, he was talking about it. I think it's a genuine uh, concern for him. And and if he were elected governor, I do think he would make mental health a priority. That's now, great. whether he's using it as a, um, you know, little football here, I don't know, but um, he has been pretty consistent on that. And he says on growth, if he's elected governor again, he'd make this state a safe haven for investment. He says, we're going to need affordable housing, saying they need to work with private sector and understand market signals. He's absolutely right about that, particularly in the affordable housing piece. And this is where I think a lot of them were kind of skirting a line with the voters they were trying to uh, attract. I don't think that the Republican primary voters want to hear anything about affordable housing or growth or bringing more tech to the state of Utah. And Huntsman went all in on that. Well, and I don't think while I agree might. with it. I'm not sure that it's politically the right move. Which is kind That's of why Ride's answer surprised me as much as he did. He called affordable housing a very serious situation. And then he talked about the not in my backyard mentality that a lot of people have. Like, sure, we need affordable housing, but put it somewhere else. I mean, it's the old conservatives in Provo who shot down what was it? It was like the UTA line that would go, you know, it added like a lot more accessibility to people. And they were like, nah, we don't want multifamily housing. We want everyone to stay in houses. Uh, well, and you had that we're looking for. You had the development in Holiday where, you know, all the yeah. rich people in Utah live that they shut down because they didn't want affordable housing in their neighborhoods. Holiday's great. Know a lot of people who live in holiday. But that's just the fact. I thought yeah. it was brave. I actually thought it was brave. Uh, as much as you could say something like this is brave, for both Huntsman and Wright to go that hard at this, particularly Wright 
calling it out, saying it's a very serious situation. He's absolutely right. Talking about the not in bat my backyard mentality is absolutely right. Uh, I thought that because w- w- the voters that they are attracting, in my experience, and as I understand it, uh, do not like anything to do with this conversation. Right. Uh, Spencer Cox <laughs> says that the state can help with infrastructure and work with the private sector on innovation. He called for lowering costs of construction, changes in financing to open markets and regulation changes. Also agree with that. Greg Hughes said 80% of population lives in four counties surrounded by mountains. He says economic opportunity throughout the state will spread it out and grow rural economy. I actually thought they all had good answers there. And I think they're all pretty well versed in real estate and growth. And this was really in all of their wheelhouses. So it was interesting to hear their answers. The next question was about improving education. This came from a student at BYU who talked about how Utah ranked dead last in spending and pupil to teacher ratios and what these candidates would do to improve that. And he said that he would be the governor of education. And he said that he will reallocate resources and budget to make sure money gets into classrooms without Common Core and all the bureaucracy, which, you know, is a direct appeal to the conservative voter who hates Common Core. And I think Common Core does is pretty problematic in a lot of ways. And it's something that should be looked at. Uh, Spencer Cox said that the teacher shortage isn't talked about enough. He talked about his brother who was a teacher and quit because he wasn't making enough money. He said the compensation is a problem and over overregulating is taking the joy out of teaching out of the classroom. And I assume by overregulating that kind of means, you know, all the testing and uh, t- needing to teach ways of specific things, which I think there's good and bad. Uh, Greg Hughes says that they can cut taxes to put a billion into education. Oh, sorry. They did cut taxes and put a billion into education when he was speaker. Uh, and he says that without commerce, there's no tax collection. So Utah really needs get to get back to work um, because if they don't, there will be no dollars for education. And then here's where John Huntsman, this is when I yelled, don't be rude. He kind of looked around the stage and he said, what was it? He's all, these are all small ball answers or something like that. It was very like, in my opinion, condescending. And he said, when's the last time Utah had a big idea? Which is funny because he was governor not that long ago. And he says that we need to double the state's GOP in the uh, areas of biotech, finance, defense, and public lands, which great. Let's do that. But education is a problem right now. Doubling the GDP is going to take more than one year, right? And we need to solve the state solve the state's education problems right now. So for me, that was a very eye rolly answer. Because tell me what you're going to do to help my kid starting in the fall, right? How did you feel? Well, you know, I'm a sucker for. Uh, slangs and uh, slogans and things like that. And so whenever John Huntsman says he wants to make Utah the crossroads of the world, I get excited. Again, I'm not sure what it means, but I'm like, this is sweet. Crossroads of the world. How cool is that? Um, I'm all in on bringing more biotech, fintech and defense tech. I don't know what public lands have to do with anything. Um, But uh, other than, you know, I know a lot of the conservatives are mad that the federal government uh, really kind of owns most of the state. Um, I I, I didn't mind any of these people's answers. Huntsman's Huntsman's answer didn't have a lot to do with education. But, you know, I love when he says, like, crossroads of the world. I think that's sweet. Like, yeah, let's do it. All right. You're a sucker. Um, To end, the final question was Bruce Lindsay said, you know, there's you've got 
a an environment here in Utah that you'll kind of be a steward over. So in making those decisions, we need to know, do you believe in climate change? Spencer Cox says yes. Greg Hughes says no. <laughs> Uh, Greg Hughes says that the climate has never been influenced by man. John Huntsman says that he follows science, so yes. And Wright says that, you know, sure, the climate changes with patterns, but also there is some of it that is caused because of driving cars and man problems, um, and that essentially it can be both. He did say, I want to do everything I can to improve that, even if it's only a minuscule difference. There was kind of a tweet floating around that said that he said it could be both. And I think that's a misrepresentation because his answer answer was actually far more thoughtful than that. Yeah. And to be Uh, clear, the question was, do you believe in man-made climate change? Yes. Thank you. Uh, Which, which, you know, Cox says, yes. Hugh said, no. Huntsman, yes. I thought Wright's answer was the best on this, which is like, yeah. And it's also warming. Um, I thought, again, like, I felt like Wright had a great debate. So did I. I mean, of course, of course, man, you have to, I mean, it's weird that Greg Hughes doesn't believe in man-made climate change, but um, I mean, I don't even, that's actually like, I don't know what that is. And that's Here's why I think he, by the way, I think this guy has a real chance to be our next governor. I'm not kidding. I, I, I think Hughes believes everything he says, right? Yeah. I think everything he said on that stage Monday night, for me, it was all wackadoo, but I think those are his beliefs. For Huntsman, I just felt like there was, it felt disingenuous to me. Uh, I felt like there were a lot of answers that didn't truly represent how he personally looks at the world. And I, I didn't care for it. Uh, they made their closing statements. Wright said, look, I'm the outsider. Uh, and then he kind of addressed these news stories that Herbert has pulled him in and tried to convince him to drop out of the race. And he said, I'm in this race and I'm in it to win it don't fall for polling. And he talks about how Aaron Mendenhall wouldn't be mayor if the polling was consistent. And, you know, Donald Trump wouldn't be president if the polling was consistent. I mean, he's behind by a lot. So I I would be very surprised if he comes up from 6%. But weirder things have happened. Spencer Cox says that uh, he, you know, references the pandemic, uh, the earthquake, economic things, the really rough year we've had so far. And he said, I'm doing this because I love the state and care deeply about its people. Greg Hughes, again, says that he's the real conservative in the race. And he says that Trump has done a lot for the average Joe and average Jane in our state. Doesn't give any specifics, um, but says that he's going up in the polls and says he wants you to give us a serious look. Uh, he touts his record and says he's the conservative, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, and Huntsman, I don't have Huntsman's final statement on here. I, I think it was the crossroads of the world ending, if I'm not. Oh, mistaken. and also people ask why I'm doing this again. And I was, I love this state. I love my family. I love the troops, you know. One thing that I thought was interesting that Huntsman did too in his closing statements, he mentioned his running mate, which none of the other candidates did uh, the whole right. time. Yeah. Uh, he mentioned Kafusi in his uh, closing statement. I don't know if everybody can read into that, whatever they want. But um, yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting that he did that. Um, yeah, so watching this and as a Republican, Meg, 
uh, who are you, who do you think won and who are you leaning towards currently? I, let me say this. I was least impressed by Huntsman in this debate. Really? Really. I did not find the combative and condescending tone to represent Utah. Uh, I, like I said, I was very impressed with Wright's performance. I think Cox won the debate. Yeah, you do. You call Cox the winner. I, I, yeah, yeah. What do you think? I think Cox won, but yeah. I don't think Huntsman did as bad as you think. That guy is smooth as butter. Well, um, and see, I, I have an allergy to people who are smooth as butter. Like, I just don't like that world. I don't really like debates because they've all come prepared with the points they want to address regardless of the questions. They're never actual real conversations, right? So the kind of answers he was giving were the kind of answers that repulse me as a voter, but I understand that's not the case for everybody. Yeah, you're new. You're new to the Republican world. Give it a few years. (laughs) And, uh, you know, you'll, you'll get more used to it and get more excited about this. Uh, I, I thought Cox did very well. I think Cox won simply because nobody really landed a glove on him. And I feel like the COVID-19 uh, criticism is un, it's just petty and weird. And it comes yeah. off as petty and weird, as you're saying. But I don't think anyone did poorly here. Again, I, I thought if we're just saying, like, who did the best, I actually think Thomas Wright did the best um just overall i I was i was into everything that he was saying and it felt like he was giving genuine answers i think greg hughes really helped himself i mean as much as you know uh you recoil at some of these things and a lot of the people who are viewing this probably recoil um i think he he's saying that he's throwing red meat to the exact people who are going to be voting in this primary watch out for him he's now at 19 percent. he's only four points behind huntsman uh, in, in this thing, and with 24% undecided, Greg Hughes could easily be your next governor. But let's talk about that 24% undecided. I do you think how what percentage of that 24% are likely to vote for Hughes? I feel like the people who are voting for Hughes know they're voting for Hughes, right? I, I feel like know. those. Those people are in one lane and one lane only, and they're not looking to the left. They're not looking to the right. They're just, they're all in on Trump. I feel like that's just a segment of the voter population and that's who's going to vote for him. If you're undecided right now, I don't feel like you're going for Hughes. I feel like you're deciding between Cox or Huntsman. I think the way Greg becomes governor is more things like this NPR story where like, hey, the actual mortality rate is only 0.5. It's not 5% like they're saying, hey, uh, hydroxychloroquine mixed with zinc might actually be good. Again, like none of these stuff is like, it's not the final say, but if more and more of this stuff and his whole thing is like, we've overreacted, we should have never shut down, all these types of things. And more, if more stories come out kind of validating that viewpoint, and I don't think we'll know the answer one way or another uh, affirmatively, uh, before this thing is over. But if it starts, the way it's trending right now is, you know, people could be just upset and go for the guy who has been screaming about um, how we shouldn't have done this. I think that's his shot. I think Huntsman's shot is, um, 
you know, he convinces the majority of that 24% to go for him and hopes, uh, you know, the state starts to look at this, uh, the voters start to look at the state's response to coronavirus as not as great as they currently do. I think Cox has just got to hope this race remains stagnant and he wins. If, if, if the election was held tomorrow, and I hate when people say that, but he'd win. Um, and I think he'd win by a lot. Yeah. Uh, currently, I think most of those 24% would go with Cox. I think Cox is the clear front runner here. And Wright's hope is uh, people watch this debate. A lot of people watch this debate who were voting because I think he did himself and his, his campaign a lot of favors in the debate. I wouldn't be surprised at all if his poll numbers shoot up. I think that this is a good first run for Wright and that we will see him again. Uh, whether Hey, you know what he should have done? Governor. He should have dropped out and endorsed Cox and then ran against Mike Lee in two years. Too late. <laughs> never say never. I mean, that actually is a pretty... I don't like that story at all. We didn't talk about it, but I don't like that Herbert did that. We did talk about it. We talked about it last week. Oh, did we? Yeah. I don't, know. Yeah. I, don't <laughs> I don't like that he did that. I, that I probably liked it last week is the problem. Uh, I don't like that the governor did that. That's an odd thing to do. Particularly Be, why, when it's Tell so, me why you don't like it. One, uh, he clearly is supporting Cox. And he clearly yep. sees, he's not doing this as like, hey, I'm buddies with Thomas Wright and giving him friendly advice. What he's doing is like, I think most of your voters would go to Spencer if you were out. Your four to five percent that you're pulling out right now probably sells the election for Spencer. Drop out. I'll help you run against Lee. I think it's weird. He's actively recruiting somebody to run against Lee uh, already. I think there's a lot of weird pieces you, to that you, story. you a Lee fan? Yeah, I love Lee. I'm a, I'm a big Lee guy. And I just think any, but no, I, I don't care about that. I just think it's weird that the gov, the governor who's leaving is invested in, and he's not, he doesn't care. He's probably, you don't a think Lee he guy. cares. He's probably a Lee guy. What are we talking about? Like uh, he just wants right out. And uh, that, that, that's been thrown around so many times. Like, Hey, just run against Mike Lee. Uh, mm -hmm. That guy's going to be, and yeah, it never works out. So I get my ballot in four days. I think most people will get their ballot in four days. You know, I, who's, who's to say? Sounds like um, you're leaning towards Cox right now. Right now he feels like the least bad option. Which with is Hughes all is I can close, ask for. <laughs> Hughes is a I mean, close runner up for you. We've talked a lot about COVID, but you know, there's also just the past week addressing racism. Uh, and I know that Cox is more active on Twitter than any of these other candidates, but he has, you know, he wrote a post about how he's learned about racism in his own life and how we need to do better. And you can critique that post for all the reasons everything's being critiqued right now, but he's talking about it. Right. And I haven't seen that level of engagement from the other people. And so I appreciate that. Uh, I don't think this is an issue that is going away anytime soon, even here in Salt Lake city. I think that it's going to 
continue to be an issue and I would like to vote for someone who I feel will like at least engage in conversations about it. And so far There's, he's yeah. shown me that he'll do that. And I, again, not to say he's done that perfectly, but he's trying. One thing I'll say about Cox is uh, you don't get a sense of entitlement or he does, he deserves this. Uh, office it feels like he's really gone to work to try to earn it um and i i appreciate that almost more than anything else um you know everything that you just said i think is totally valid and true as well but um i don't i don't like any sense of entitlement that you're owed the governor's seat And and i do get that from huntsman honestly you get that for months when I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying like, um, that's the opposite of what Cox has done in this campaign. He has really gone to work to earn it. And I love people who try to earn it. And yeah. so I'll say that, but I don't know. I'm not making an endorsement today or anything, but you're not even registered as a Republican. You can't vote anyway. You don't know what I am. I'm not going to announce <laughs> yeah. it. In front of hundreds of people. That's smart. That actually, that's good. you shouldn't announce it because then Greg Hughes will get on stage. He'll condemn you personally. It's embarrassing. That'd be sweet. I love Greg. Greg's. A, I actually really think Greg's a good guy. I think like I said this last week. I think all these guys, you know, should be commended for. It's so hard to put yourself out there and uh, do something like this. And I thought they all did well at the debate. I agree with you, Cox won simply because. Uh, nobody really laid a glove on him, and I think his answers were great. There was a time when he choked up. I think people really liked that. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll see what happens. I think he's currently winning, and if things continue as they are, I think he'll win, and I think he'll win big. I actually think it's not going to be as close as people think, unless some of the things that uh, you know we've talked about happen, and Greg can unite a whole group of people behind – uh, you know, over government overreach or Huntsman can convince us other 24%. But uh, yeah, as, as things stand now, it looks like you gotta it's do that Cox's in four race. days. Yeah, it looks like yeah. it's Cox's race, it really does. I mean, knock on wood, we'll see. Uh, Clint, it's been a real pleasure again. Everybody, check out the Beehive today. We have this great piece from Lisa Roger who has been so brave in sharing her experience with us. I'm proud to call her a friend. I'm also proud to call Eli McCann a friend. He wrote about Uh, doing more as a white person than just bemoaning the state of things and feeling helpless and getting involved and donating and taking action. Uh, Both are worth your time today. Check those out at thebeehive.com. I think we have a podcast from you and Chris. Who knows what's going on there? I'm not proud of it. Don't say you're proud of it. (laughs) All right. Uh, Thanks so much. And we will see you guys next Wednesday with more updates on the gubernatorial race. See ya.